Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Bears Brothers podcast and postgame show. The place where Bears fans across the globe hang out online after every Bears game. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast. This is your host, Will DeWitt, and I hope that you and yours had a great holiday weekend. Personally, it was a nice, relaxing one with the family, and I'm eager to get back on the game week grind. It's now week 13. I know, the year's just flying by. And this week, our Chicago Bears will go ahead and take on the New York Giants, who are 3-8 and and fresh off a 25-22 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, just like we start every week, it's time to meet our opponent. So to help us become more acquainted with the Giants, I sat down with Matt Lombardo, the Giants beat reporter for the Star Ledger and NJ.com. Matt also hosts a New York Giants podcast called Talk is Cheap. So trust me, Matt knows his stuff, and you're going to learn a ton about this week's opponent from him. So here we go. Let's get right into that conversation. Hey, Matt, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to join us this evening to talk about the New York Giants. I want to know, how have you been? I'm great. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving, and hopefully this game will uh, give the Bears a little bit of a challenge on their way to what I think could be an NFC North title this year. <laughs> well, hey, from your word, uh, from your mouth over to God's ears on that one, no doubt about it. Hopefully that all comes to fruition here in Chicago. But I see some similarities here between Chicago uh, in terms of the head coaches, right? Both of them being first-year head coaches. Uh, you guys have Pat Shermer, and technically he's not a first-year head coach. I know he did uh, was the head coach of the Browns earlier in this decade, but obviously with a 3-8 and eight record, things aren't playing out, well, at least early. I want to know, how would you assess Shermer throughout his first 11 games as head coach? Yeah, and you look at the Andy Reid coaching tree. Matt Nagy comes from Andy Reid's lineage, as does Pat Shermer. So you look at these two guys, and I think there are some similarities in terms of maybe their football upbringing. But I, I look at Pat Shermer this year, and I think that it's really been a work in progress for this entire Giants organization, especially on offense, right, which is Pat Shermer's forte. 
you look at the offensive line, they've started nine different offensive linemen throughout the course of this year. Patrick Omame and Eric Bowers both started the year at right guard and right tackle. They've since been released, both reunited with the Jacksonville Jaguars, by the way. So that's an interesting tidbit. But the Giants, I think, have stumbled on maybe their best offensive line combination so far with Spencer Pulley and Jamone Brown, who they picked up off waivers off the Rams. And they're starting to get you know, their feet underneath them. But Saquon Barkley has been the star of the show for this team. He's third in the league in all-purpose yards from scrimmage, has 12 touchdowns, which is already a Giants rookie record. So this team, as Pat Schirmer said at the start of the year, was going to go as far as their offensive line could block for them. And we've seen that hasn't been very far. And I think that Saquon Barkley is a foundational building block. But this is a team that, in terms of the talent on offense, is far from a finished product. And I think they still have to eventually, sooner rather than later, address the quarterback position. Because Eli Manning, at times, I think has held this team back. Yeah, you know, I'm looking, and one thing that really stood out to me when I was scouting the Giants earlier this week was, uh, you guys lost uh, six of those eight losses have been decided by one score or less, and that's something that we've had here in Chicago over the last couple of years, always being on the wrong side of close games. Um, you may have already alluded to it, but I have to ask, why are the Giants losing the close ones? Yeah, I think that it comes down to they've had slow starts throughout the course of the year. The last two games, against the Buccaneers and the Eagles are kind of the aberration where they drove down the field and both of their first drives of those two games were capped by Saquon Barkley touchdowns. But before that, Eli Manning through the first eight games only had, I believe it was 11 touchdowns and only five of those came before the final five minutes of a game that was already uh, decided by 10 points or more. And the Giants really were picking up stats, yards and points in garbage time. They've just had slow starts. They haven't been able to develop any sort of momentum underneath them offensively. There wasn't a whole lot of balance in terms of the game plan. And, and you look at the last two weeks, and the common denominator is they've committed to the run game early and often. Saquon had a career-high 27 carries for 142 yards against Tampa Bay. Last week, he was averaging 9.5 yards per carry against the Eagles, over 100 yards again in that game. So I think that these close games, Good teams find a way to win those games, and, and bad teams or non-competitive teams, uh, they're either playing catch-up late and they pick up garbage yards and garbage points, or they just find a way to lose them. And so far this year, at least through the first half and a little bit more of the season, the Giants have been in that latter category where they just haven't found a way to win those games. Now, I've already talked about Saquon Barkley a little bit. I'm curious about his rookie season because I've enjoyed having him on my fantasy team. I needed to let that out there. He's been a blessing to have on my team. But I'm still I'm curious about what he brings to the Giants offense week in and week out because I see the 1,300 total yards. But I've also heard some rumblings, and I think you've actually wrote something about this, that there are just some issues with getting him more involved late in games. Is that accurate? Yeah, I look at Saquon Barkley, and, and full disclosure here, I'm a Penn State season ticket holder, and I've seen every one of, Penn, of uh, Saquon Barkley's plays dating back to college, and he went to high school across the street from my high school. So I, I followed Saquon Barkley's career fairly closely. Um, you look at this Giants team, and, and I think that through the first half of the season, the first seven or eight games, I don't think Pat Shermer and the offensive coordinator, Mike Schuller, really understood the threat that Saquon Barkley is catching the ball out of the backfield. Everybody knows what he can do as a runner. Everybody knows what he can do in terms of busting out a 50 or 60 yard play that can turn the tide of a game. 
But you look at him as a receiver, and, and he's averaging upwards of, I believe, close to 11 yards per reception. And one of the reasons why he's third in yards from scrimmage is because he's such a threat catching the football. You can line him up in the slot. You can throw it to him on wheel routes, on screens in the flat. And, and every time he touches the ball, he's a threat to score because of what he's able to do either after the catch or after he makes defenders miss. So I look at Saquon Barkley, and you look at the Giants' success the last couple of weeks, I don't think that it's a coincidence that he's had four games where he's touched the ball more than 18 times and the Giants have won three of them. So uh, if you're the Giants and you're looking to win the football game, you commit to the running game, you commit to Barkley, and, and you really use the passing game uh, to supplement what he's able to bring and take some of the pressure off of Eli Manning, who has been prone to making some mistakes throughout the course of the season. Sure. Now, looking over at your receiving core, I see Odell Beckham Jr. He leads the team in receptions with 74 and five receiving touchdowns. And he's averaging 92 yards per game, which is, you know, a very nice number to have. And I know he's a matchup problem each and every week. But outside of him, and like you mentioned, Barkley coming out of the backfield, I'm having a hard time finding someone to kind of worry about, especially with the Bears' very strong secondary. But over to you, is there anyone else besides OBJ and Barkley that we should worry about on that New York Giants offense? Yeah, it's kind of inexplicable what's happened over the last couple of weeks here. You have Evan Ingram, who is a former first-round pick at tight end, and he's basically a big slot receiver, not that great of a blocker, and that seems to have really stuck out to this coaching staff. And We've seen his snaps diminish uh, each of the last three weeks, played 36 snaps on a Monday night win against the San Francisco 49ers and had a really clutch catch and a big moment on, on Eli Manning's comeback drive to win the game in the fourth quarter. And then last week against Tampa Bay, uh, he only played in 30 snaps, and he had another big catch on the final drive of the game to help put the, the victory on ice. But he didn't play against the Eagles because of what the team is calling a hamstring injury. But he's, he's really his role has diminished throughout the course of this season. He's not the threat that he once was in this offense. And outside of Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley, even someone like Sterling Shepard, who I think is one of the premier slot receivers in the league based on talent, the Giants have utilized him less and less and less. So, I mean, you can talk about Corey Coleman and his explosiveness as, as a kick returner, but he hasn't really brought that much to the offense as a complimentary piece, no doubt Beckham Jr. And I think that if you want to take away the Giants' offense, if you want to limit what they're able to do, you take away Saquon Barkley and you make Elon Manning beat you because, other, as you pointed out, other than Odell Beckham Jr., there aren't a lot of weapons in that passing game. Absolutely. And you already talked about the offensive line and how it's been in flux all season long. And obviously, it's been a pain point, too. And they're tied for the most sacks, giving up on the season with 38. Uh, they're pro football focuses, third worst black pass blocking unit in the league. 170 pressures given up so far this year. And they've been susceptible to giving up pressure along the edges. And you talked about the new line kind of being a little bit stronger than the previous kind of, you know, iterations of it. Um, but still, I want to know what's been some of these issues up front and your thoughts about the matchup against a Khalil Mack led Bears front seven. Yeah, there, there's a, a, a running bet in the uh, Giants press corps about the over-under on the amount of sacks that Khalil Mack will get on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've officially set the over-under at four and a half for Khalil Mack, oh, especially wow. if he lines up against uh, Chad Wheeler 
who has been the right tackle ever since Eric Flowers was benched before week three and then later released. Um, Chad Wheeler, I think, is a liability at right tackle. Nate Solder was off to a really difficult start to the season. He was made the highest-paid offensive lineman in the league when the Giants brought him in as a free agent from the Patriots. But I think Solder has played serviceable or better the last two or three games. Uh, Will Hernandez, their second-round pick at left guard, uh, one of the, the few bright spots along that offensive line, Pro Football Focus consistently has him as one of the top 10 offensive guards in the league. So Hernandez is a guy to keep an eye on uh, in terms of, of, of a run blocker and pass protector. But if you're looking at the winner of this matchup along the, the front seven and along the line of scrimmage, I, I give a strong advantage to the Chicago Bears because of what Khalil Mack is able to do. I think he's a game breaker. Um, I think that he's a guy who can turn the outcome of a game on on its head. J.J. Uh, Watt had two and a half sacks against the Giants in Chad Wheeler's first start, and everybody thought Wheeler played well. I, I think there's a legitimate chance that Matt could come close to doubling or even exceeding that on Sunday. I think this could be a really long afternoon for Eli Manning. Well, music to my ears. Real quickly, you just talked about Manning, and that's uh, the next question I had up here for you. I want to know how you would assess his season, because number-wise, he's kind of middle of the road, but he is 10th in yards, only 14 touchdowns. But I'm curious your take on Eli this year because from my perspective, outside of New York, it does appear like his time may be coming to a close sooner rather than later. The fan base is kind of looking for something new. Is that accurate? Yeah, I I think that's – I don't know that the fan base is looking for something new, uh, but I think the Giants will be doing themselves a disservice if they don't start looking for something new at quarterback. Listen, I think Eli Manning has done some nice things this year, and he's made a couple of nice plays, and – uh, his game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was almost perfect. He was 20 of 21 passing, over 300 yards, a couple of touchdowns in that game. Uh, but again, they relied on Saquon in that game in the running game pretty heavily. Uh, he's also made some inexplicable throws. His interception at the end of the first half against the Eagles. Uh, I put up a tweet about this at Matt Lombardo NFL with the video. Uh, he has two receivers who were open underneath, but he tries to force it over the middle deep to Odell Beckham and just didn't have enough on the ball, and Malcolm Jenkins picked it off. That's the type of thing that he's done all year. It's really been inconsistent, his ability to hit on the deep ball with with Odell, and there have been opportunities, whether it's down near the goal line, not seeing Odell Beckham wide open against the 49ers, throwing to the wrong target in a two-point conversion against the Atlanta Falcons, throwing to the wrong target on a a, a two-point conversion against the Eagles when you had a tight end breaking free. His decision-making has just been suspect, and and I think that his numbers have been inflated in the first half of the season by what he's done late when the game has already decided. So it wouldn't surprise me if sometime over these final five games the Giants wind up playing fourth-round rookie Kyle Alletta, seeing what he has, because this is a team that's going to be picking in the top five again, and they have to know if Walletta can be their quarterback of the future or if they have to draft Will Greer out of West Virginia or Justin Herbert out of Oregon or uh, Haskins out of Ohio State. They need to know what they can do with that first-round pick. Do they have to take a quarterback? Can they go, go get one of these potentially generational pass rushers? So to me, with the Giants at 3-8 and eight, virtually eliminated from the postseason, I wouldn't be surprised if this game against the Bears is one of his final starts in the Giant uniform. Yeah, that's what I was reading. That's what kind of really took me, you know, by a little bit of surprise reading that uh, so far this season. But you make a lot of good points into why that would be a wise decision for the Giants to kind of go ahead and make. But I want to switch the focus over to the Giants' defense. And something that's quite noticeable about that unit is the fact that they've been unable to close games. 
uh, blew a 17-point lead against Tampa Bay two weeks back, and they gave up 11 points in the fourth quarter on Sunday to the Eagles. And I know, and this is something else, I saw that you published an article on this. I'm very intrigued to learn more. What have you noticed from this defense that may explain why they're unable to hold up down the stretch? Yeah, I think it comes down to not being able to generate consistent pressure on the quarterback. This is a team that has, I believe, 12 total sacks uh, on the quarterback, and there are several pass rushers, including Aaron Donald, who have more sacks than the Giants do, and I think Mack is somewhere near that area as well. It's not just getting home and getting sacked. They're not generating pressure. Uh, They're not making enough plays on third down. They commit untimely penalties, a lot of personal fouls. And I look right at a guy like Olivier Vernon, who the Giants – we're banking on being one of the anchors of this defense when they moved to a 3-4, moving him to a pass-rushing outside linebacker spot, which was supposed to be his natural position, but no sacks the last two weeks, no quarterback pressures against the Eagles, only two tackles. Uh, he's been a ghost. You look on the back end, and George Jenkins has given up some big plays through the air to guys like Alshon Jeffrey and Tavon Austin of the Cowboys. Uh, they just haven't made enough plays, haven't been good enough on third down, made too many penalties, and not getting after the quarterback. And I think that when you can't do any of those things, it's really tough to close out a game because that's when teams are going to be throwing on you and playing from behind. Um, and I think that's just been the, the giant issue the entire year. Now, you talked about the low sack totals and the low amount of pressures that that front save seven has been able to generate so far this year. They do have 14 sacks through 11 games, which is uh, the second fewest in the entire league. And obviously, that's not good nor effective for any defense. But despite those low sack totals and pressures, the Giants secondary has played, I think, admirably considering uh, they have the 11th lowest pass rating allowed at 90.4 and 10 interceptions to 15 touchdowns allowed. How is this possible uh, without a pass rush? I'm very curious to hear your take. Yeah, I think that they've been playing some young players back there with a lot to prove. Grant Haley is an undrafted rookie free agent. He's actually been their highest-graded defensive player, according to Pro Football Focus, throughout the course of the season. Uh, Landon Collins is an all-pro. He struggled covering tight ends and running backs, but he's been very good up front in terms of pressuring the quarterback a little bit, but even more so against the run. And I think that by virtue of the fact that the last couple weeks teams have been playing from behind, like the Eagles, like the Buccaneers, teams have been throwing more, and that's created some opportunities for turnovers. Alec Ogletree had a pick six two weeks ago against Tampa Bay. Um, And I think that when when the ball was put into trouble and harms way by the opposing quarterback, that there is talent back there, like Collins, like Janoris Jenkins, and like Haley, who can make a play on the ball and come up with some of those interceptions. Now, I also want to know, has there anything offenses have done that you've noticed like a trend that perhaps has given that secondary some fits this year? You know, I I haven't really noticed anything consistently other than at times teams will go right after uh, free safety Curtis Riley. Riley's a guy who bites on a lot of double moves deep over the top. Uh, If a guy catches a ball underneath, He's not a safety who takes really great angles to kind of close and make the tackle in the open field. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Chase Daniel or Mitchell Trubisky target Curtis Riley over the middle. I also wouldn't be surprised if you see, um, uh, you, you know, you go right after Janoris Jenkins on a couple of go routes with someone like Allen Robinson. I wouldn't be surprised to see that play out. But I don't necessarily seen many trends other than teams just seem to jump out to big leads and the Giants defense, you know, kind of crumbles from 
Sure. Now, that Giants run defense, too, they've given up 125 yards per game on the ground, and that's 26 in the league, and they're allowing 4.5 yards per attempt this year. Matt, I need to know, is that run defense as bad as it looks on paper? It is, and I'll cite an example, and that was in Sunday's game against the Eagles and the Giants. Uh, We're nursing a lead late in the fourth, early, excuse me, in the fourth quarter, and the Eagles got the ball back, and with Corey Clement and Josh Adams, they they ran a six-play drive, covered 70 yards, and they ran the ball on five of those plays, and the Giants just didn't have any answers. And I think that it just comes down to the Eagles' offensive line did a much better job than the Giants' defensive line did up front. Um, I think this this run defense has taken a little bit of a step back since they traded Damon Harrison to the Detroit Lions. I think that was more of an addition by subtraction type of move in terms of locker room culture and getting an asset for a player that you probably weren't going to be bringing back in 2019, but he was their best run stuffer. I think they're still trying to find an identity in terms of stopping the run uh, without Harrison. And you have to remember, too, that teams are also running the ball late when they get a lead on this team, and that's going to give up, you know, more more rushing yards and more touchdowns late in the game. Yeah, sure, exactly. Now, over the last three games, the Giants' defense they've allowed the second highest third down conversion rate in the NFL, fifty one point five percent. What's been behind some of the third down struggles as of late? Yeah, I think a lot of it's been penalties. They've had opportunities to get off the field, but they'll commit a senseless personal foul penalty or they'll jump off sides and that'll create a free opportunity for a fresh set of downs for the opposing offense. And I I think that, you know, again, this secondary is vulnerable to giving up the big play. And for whatever reason, they just struggle to get off the field on third down. That's been a constant theme when you talk to the coaches and you talk to players on defense is something that they're trying to improve on as this year goes along, but just don't have any answers to is that third down defense. So that, that number doesn't surprise me at all. Now on the converse side of this, they are the seventh best red zone defense. Is there anything that stands out as to why that defense is able to kind of step up in the red area of the field? Yeah, I think it's that bend but don't break mentality. And that's kind of where you saw the Alec Ogletree interception against Tampa Bay. Um, you know, the, the Buccaneers were driving. And, of course, uh, Janoris Jenkins tips the ball up in the air. Ogletree, you know, picks it off and runs it in for a touchdown. Um, I, I think that a lot of times they get their backs against the wall. The field shortens. And they do have talent there. We talked about Landon Collins. He's an all-pro. We talked about Alec Ogletree. He's a pro bowl inside linebacker who is a tackles machine, and they they do a nice job um, down in the red zone, I think just because opposing offenses get out of their game plan and try to you know do too much down in that area, and the Giants defense has been able to come up with some stops, and um, uh, to be honest with you, that's kept them in games a lot longer than maybe they should have uh, a couple times this season. Yeah, sure. Uh, Matt, I've really appreciated all the insight you brought so far. I just have a couple more questions for you. And my first one is actually just an open one. Is there anything else about the Giants either on offense, defense, special teams, behind the scenes that uh, you think Bears fans should know heading into this game week? Yeah, I think that the Giants have a chance to have an all-pro kicker in Aldrich Rosas. He's a guy that has made several kicks of 50 yards or longer. So if, if the Bears, uh, even if you think you've gotten off the field or you, you've escaped trouble and the Giants have the chance to kick a 50-yard field goal or a 55-yard field goal try, I think Rose is the type of guy who can, um, you know, get put points on the board for the Giants, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him wind up in the Pro Bowl. Uh, and the other, the other big picture thing here is in this game that I'm going to really keep an eye on, and I think it's going to really dictate how this game plays out is, 
how invested is this team? You, you look at this past week against the Eagles, the Giants went in having won two in a row. They were up 19 to three at one point, and it, it just collapsed on them. Eli Manning threw an interception at the end of the first half when the Giants were up 19 11, and then all of a sudden they lost control of the game in the second half. And after the game, Odell Beckham Jr. questioned the play calling, Sterling Shepard questioned the play calling, basically said, You guys can watch the All 22. Why don't you go back and watch it and tell me what you saw? Um, I'm going to be really interested to see if Pat Schirmer is able to keep this team invested, keep them playing at a high level keep them energized going into this game because at three and eight, there's no realistic path to the playoffs. And this is a group that quit on Ben McAdoo last year. This is a group that, that felt, especially on defense and the finger pointing and then blaming, there were fights behind the scenes. So if the bears jump out to an early lead, let's say they jump out and they get a 10, nothing lead a 13 to six lead. I'll be really interested to see how much fight is left in this giant team. And also how long the giants stick with Eli Manning. Those are really two or three things that I'm going to keep an eye on. Sunday. Great stuff there. Now, the last question is a two-parter. It's how I end every Meet the Opponent episode, and the first part of it is, what will it take for the Giants to come away with a victory this week? Uh, they're going to have to control Khalil Mack by any means necessary, whether that's keeping tight end Red Ellison in as an inline blocker on 85% of the snaps and, and using fullback Elijah Penny to, to, to chip in the backfield. You can't let Khalil Mack um, dictate the front seven and get after Eli Manning and pressure him. Uh, and, and I think that they win the game if they commit to the running game and run the ball with Saquon Barkley over 25 times and he rushes for over 100 yards and scores two touchdowns. If they can do those two things, I think they have a chance to win the game. Sure. And of course, the flip side of this question is going to be the opposite. Uh, what's going to happen in order for the Bears to win and the Giants to end up losing this one? Uh, the game becomes a shootout. Uh, if if Kubisky or Daniel, whoever winds up at quarterback, is able to um, put up over 27 points. And if on defense, Khalil Mack and that front seven are able to get after Eli Manning, make, make life miserable on him, sack him multiple times, hurry him, pressure him, all of those things. If those two things happen, it's going to be really difficult for the Giants to stay competitive. Awesome. Great stuff, Matt. I want to thank you again for taking the time to give us some of this insight about the New York Giants heading into this game week. Uh, real quick, is there anywhere uh, people can find your work throughout the week if they want to kind of keep tabs on the Giants? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL, and you can read me at NJ.com slash Giants. I have one question for you, though, my friend. Sure. How's it going? <laughs> As a frequent visitor of Chicago for the NFL draft, and Chicago's become one of my favorite American cities, I got to ask you this question. Luminaltis or Geno's East? Ooh, Luminaltis for sure. I'm uh, way over Geno's East. Well, it's a good call. You're a smoke like a true Chicago one over there. Hey, there we go. I, I passed your test, which I guess is all I needed for validation. There you go. All right, Matt, thank you again. Really do appreciate uh, the time that you gave. I know you have a very busy schedule. You do lots of different things with radio, your podcast, writing for NJ.com, and, of course, covering the Giants. So just thank you again, all right? I appreciate you having me on. And that's a wrap. I hope that you enjoyed Matt's insight this week and that you feel like you learned something new about the Giants. I know I sure did. Now, up next, Brandon and Nick will hit your stream with their weekly audio mailbag and still answer your questions. And if you're wondering, is it too late to submit yours? Well, the answer is no, it's not. So if you want your question answered on our next podcast by Brandon and Nick, just leave us a voicemail at 872-240-4007 with your Bears question so the guys can answer it. I'm going to talk to you later in the week with our game preview episode. But until then, bear down, Chicago. Bear down, Chicago. Bear down, Chicago.
Personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it.